0: Hey, Cornerstone. How are you? Yeah? Great to be with you again. I got to be honest, this is the first time that I've ever been rated by a rating system, PG-13. So um, it's great speaking my last sermon ever at Cornerstone. I, I appreciate it. No, hey, man, we're going to have some fun today. Um, I want to say thank you to Lynn for the opportunity to come speak to you. You guys have a great pastor. Do you know that? Yeah. Yes, you do. So um, week number two in by the book. So if you got your Bibles, open them up to Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to probably read the most familiar passage that a lot of us are with Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. And I want to read this to you and then I want to unpack this idea and then I want to blow it up. Is that okay? Is that all right today? Uh, because that's what we're going to do. Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 10. Now, when you hear this, some of you are like, I've heard this before, and we're going to break it down. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Which basically means you can't play God for a fool. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature he will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So... Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now chances are everybody here today has probably heard of the law of sowing and reaping. Can I get a hand up in the air if you're like, I've heard of the principle of, lo- of sowing and reaping. Okay, so you're familiar with what we're talking about. In fact, most of the times you and I are familiar with it, kind of with a negative or con- context. We've heard it say, you're going to reap what you sow. Bottom line. Or anybody here, parents of teenagers, parents of teenagers right here, Raise your hand all right you've probably said it this way you're gonna get what you have coming you know you're like I can't wait till you have kids you're gonna get what you have coming you've heard you said it that way or maybe you said this your actions will always have consequences now my my personal favorite one is this and, and you guys are gonna know this one ready this is my personal favorite one what goes around okay come on now 1155 come on I need to get what goes around? around, All right, now stay with me because I'm going to come back to you a little bit later. You're going to preach this message with me, okay? What goes around com- comes around. Now, like with all principles, the principle of sowing and reaping can either work for you or they can work against you. Now, the idea behind this principle is that it makes certain components in life relatively predictable. You're going you're, you're gonna to get what you have coming, either good or bad. However, because we're so familiar with it being negative, let me me stop here and tell you this. There There is some good news. There is one and only one exception that will blow up this biblical principle of sowing and reaping. And that exception is this. God's grace. God's grace. And what I mean by that is this. The presence of grace in a situation... If, when, when something bad is going in our life or, or we're not living like we're supposed to, if grace decides to show up, what that means is this. Sometimes you're not going to get the consequences you deserve. Can I get an amen on that one? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And that's what we're talking about. Now, there's probably no better story in all of Scripture that, that illustrates God's grace showing up and blowing up the principle of sowing and reaping better than the tale of two brothers. And their names are Joseph and Judah. Now when I said Joseph. Whether you're in church or have been in church before, that name kind of rings a bell. You're like, where did I hear that? Where did I hear that? Oh, yeah, back when I was five years old. Flannel graph at church, the little dude with the striped coat. You know what I'm saying? Coat of many colors. And that's the Joseph we're talking about. Joseph, and we're going to talk about his other brother named Judah. And you're like, Judah, Judah, I I haven't heard about him. And we're going to talk about him today. Now, Joseph was kind of this uncommonly good guy who suffers unspeakable injustices in his life. And, and, and Judah, on the other hand, is this wily, callous, hypocritical dude who, who enjoys kind of this undeserved life of prosperity and popularity. And as we unpack this story for you today, you're, you're going to see that God has a plan for both of them. And he's about ready to blow up The principle of sowing and reaping with his amazing grace. Now, the story unfolds in Genesis chapter 37 through 49. And if you want to go home and read this story in its fullness, I challenge you to do that. It's 13 chapters. And and, and I I want you to read something. Well, we're going to share it here in a minute. And you're going to realize, oh my gosh, I can't believe that was in the Bible. And it is. That's why the PG-13 warning. Okay, just so so you know up in front. All right. So, So here's what you need to understand. 13 chapters that unpacks this idea, and we'll camp on one. But go read it, because I promise you there will always be something in the Bible that you didn't know was there. So I want to I challenge you to go there. All right, and we get ready, guys. We're going to go on a wild ride today. I just want you to know that up front. It's going to be like drinking water from a fire hydrant, just so you know, up front, okay? All right, so a little history. Starting out in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, uh, if you've ever been in church in your life, you, you, you've maybe heard of, uh, of Abraham before. And, and, and Jacob, which is Abraham's uh, grandson, shows up on the scene. And this is the story about Jacob's family. And, and, and going back to Abraham, you've heard of him before probably because you've heard this song. Father Abraham, many sons. sing it with me. Oh, many sons you know what I'm talking about. And that song goes for like 30 minutes. It never ends. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, so his grandson, Jacob, shows up on the scene. And Jacob fathers 12 sons by four different women. God help him. Okay, and and if you know anything about this story, or if you don't, let me help you out. He finally marries the wife of, uh, that, that he loves desperately, and her name is Rachel. And, and that is his favorite wife, and he had to work hard to get her, it, it, to be married to her. And he fathers two sons with, with, with Rachel, and, and those sons are Joseph and Benjamin, now, now these two boys happen to be his favorites, and everybody in the family knew this. And at this point in time in our story in Genesis 37, they're living kind of as farmers or shepherds. And Joseph, around the age of 17, he takes it upon himself to become kind of like the know-it-all eyes and ears of his fathers. He can't quite do everything that his older 10 brothers does, but he's like, he's going to make sure that they all do what they're supposed to do and report back to their dad. And every one of us know and have that child in our family. Do we not? That, that know it all. They, they, they have that. So this is who Joseph is. Now, another thing you need to know about Joseph is this, is he has these things about dreams. He has dreams. He has the ability to interpret dreams. And, and this, he's, he's kind of known sometimes as Joseph the dreamer. And he comes to his brothers one day. And he comes out there and he shares with them a dream that he has. He's like, come, come here, boys. Come here. Hey, okay. Anybody that's an older brother and sister right now is like, oh, I've been there before. You know what I'm saying? Just slap that little kid right now. All right. But, but you know what I'm talking about. But he gathers them around. He says, guys, I had this interesting dream last night. You're never going to imagine what happened. It's crazy ridiculous. But we were all out in the fields. And we were gathering up our bundles of wheat and, 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 and harvesting. And this is crazy, boys. But my bundle raised straight up tall and began to grow and become large. And you know what's crazy, boys? This is nuts. All of your little bundles that you were gathering up stayed little bitty, itty, itty, bitty, All right, And they came over and walked over and they bowed down to my bundle. Now, if you're, if, like I said, all you older brothers and sisters out there, that story did not make sense. You're like, what's up with this thing right now? Only the babies in the family understand. This is, this is good words right here. But this is what's going on. And, and, and immediately they're starting to think, oh, okay, so Joe, Joey, come here, boy. What are you saying? Are you saying that one day you believe that we're going to bow down to you? Is that what you're saying? So Joseph lets a little more time pass. And and, and at this point in time, his brothers, the older ones, are getting a little bit ticked off at him being a tattletale. The favorite, not to mention a a dreamer. So their resentment begins to fester. Then Joseph, which was just really oblivious. He doesn't even know that this is going on with them. He's oblivious to their anger. He comes back to the family once more. This time daddy's around, Jacob. And he goes ahead and shares with them another dream that he has. And he says this, guys, listen, i got to tell you another dream. Can you imagine the older brother's like, oh, here we go again. Here we go. Here we go again. And he tells him, guys, my dream went this way. This time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars all bowed down to me. Can, can you believe that one, guys? Is that not amazing? That is amazing. By this time, Jacob, daddy, like I said, was present. He's like, what are you saying, Joseph? Are you saying that your mother, me, and your other brothers are all going to bow down to you at some point? He's a little upset about this. Joseph is a smart guy. He doesn't say anything in the moment. Now by this time, you can probably figure out older brothers getting tired of this. They're starting to burn a little bit with some hatred. And hatred is rarely a passive thing. It's more than just an emotion. Hatred, listen, hatred is nothing less than murder waiting to happen. And that's a whole nother message, but we ain't gonna go there today. So one day, the 10 older brothers take their family's flock about 60 miles north to uh, probably near, near modern-day Galilee, if you look at a, a Bible map, okay? And Joseph decides to pay his brothers a visit. And as they see him approaching, coming over the hillside, you can only imagine their thoughts. They are tired of this little dude, all right? They, they are seriously—so so they are beginning to birth a plan for murder. And I can just imagine them all going, guys, look it, here comes the dreamer. Come here, come here, guys. Let's kill this little fart, dump his body— And then tell our father that we found him ravaged by an animal. Let's do that. So immediately they're like, they all agree. They want to get rid of him. So they do. They ambush him. But having some second thoughts about murder, not wanting his blood on their hands, they throw him in a pit. And they decide, let's let him die and rot there. Because if he does, he dies on his own. Our hands are clean. So they let that plan kind of unfold. But guess what? Judah, our other brother, our other brother sees and looks on the horizon. Here comes this caravan of travelers coming over. He's like, boys, come here. I got an idea. Let's sell Joey to this caravan and we'll be done with him forever. But we can profit a little cash from this. What do you guys think about that? And immediately all the brothers agreed. And guess what? This proved to be a day that Judah, one of our main characters, emerges as a leader among his brothers. And there you have it. The principle of sowing and reaping kind of gone awry. And now all his brothers have to do is devise this plan of what they're going to tell their dad. So they rip off a piece of his coat of many colors, kill a goat, splash a little blood on it, and they're going to go back and tell him the main story and say he was killed. We found him killed by a wild animal. Unfortunately, long after the money was all gone, the memory still remained and it haunted them. In time, each brother learned to deal with their guilt. Kind of like we do when we're sinning. We learn to deal with it and we put on, like Judah did, a public facade. And so it may seem if we ended our story there that the wicked prospered and the innocent suffered. And that doesn't sound so much like the principle of sowing and reaping is working, but not so fast. You're the last service, so I get to go two and a half hours long. So get ready. This is awesome, man. Tell the children's ministries. All right, tell tell them right now. Get some animal crackers out and cheese it. All right, here we go. (laughs) Now, if you know anything about the story, I'll fill you in. This is cool. Joseph eventually becomes a central character in saving Israel. We're going to tell his story in a minute. So time out, put that on pause, let it cook on the stove a little bit. We'll come back to him. Judah is the story I want to tell you. Judah, this is crazy. Judah's story goes literally from bad in this moment to literally creepy. Got your Bibles? Judah 30, uh, not Judah, I'm sorry, Genesis 38. Genesis 38. I'm telling you folks, this is going to blow your mind. This is why we got PG 13 ready. Just just run right now. Just run it now. Okay, here we go. Ready? Take a drink. Where's my oxygen? Okay, here we go. It happened at the time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to the certain Adamite, whose name was Hera. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Er. <laughs> All the kids in the house, look at your parents right now and say, Thank you, mom and dad, for not naming me Er. <laughs> she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again, she bore a son, and she called his name Shayla, obviously, by now, a girl's name. They are not good at naming their kids. This is crazy. Shayla. Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him, and Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er. Promise, that's the last time I'm saying it. Judas, firstborn, out, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judas said to Onan, "Go in to your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother law, and raise up." offspring for your brother. Now you need to push pause just a second. They, they had this thing in ancient culture called leverant marriage, that if a, a husband would die, that it was the rightful place for the patriarchal family to take over and, and provide a husband and care for her so she wouldn't be, be, you know, she wouldn't die and starve in the family, especially if she didn't have children. So naturally this was the normal process. That's why Judah goes to his son Onan and says, you're now her husband. So provide for her children that can take care of her. This is what's going on. It's going to get creepy. All right, listen, it's crazy. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground. This is like what? Are you kidding? This is like the puss and boots show. Ooh, you know what I'm saying? Awkward, that's in the Bible. This is crazy, man. Because some of you are like, that's in, the Bi- that's in the Bible. So he wouldn't, he didn't want to give offspring to her. So, and what did he, what did he do? It was wicked in the sight of the Lord. He wasn't doing what he's supposed to do. So, guess what? The Lord put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter in law, Come here, girl, we need to talk. You remain a widow. Go back and live with your father. Okay? And when Shaila is old enough, I will give him to you in marriage. We'll, we'll keep this going. But you've got to understand what's going on. By this time, Judah sees a pattern. He sees two of his oldest sons dying because they were married to her, thinking that it was her that they were dying. But you and I both know they died. Why? Because they were wicked. So he makes a deal with her, and he sees a loophole. Shayla's not of age, so he's like, go back, play the grieving widow, let your father take care of you. When Shayla becomes of age, you can marry him. He makes a promise, listen, that he never intends to keep. Now, now, follow along. (laughs) This is crazy. So Tamar went, remained in her father's house in the course of the time of the wife of Judah. Shuah's daughter died. Judah's wife dies, and when Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears. He and his friend Hira, the Adamite. Now this was custom because at that time of the year, it's towards the end of the year, they would go into town, all the the, the and, and they would celebrate their prosperity. They would celebrate the the grain production, the wool production, the wine production, and this was what was going on. So obviously, someone comes to Tamar and tells him, "Your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep." This probably happened over Facebook. Somebody, girl, you got to know who's coming to tap. You know what I'm saying? It's probably one of those things right now. You never know who's coming town, all right. So this was going. On. So Damar devises a plan, and her plan is this: I'm not, not going to ask Judah for anything because that means that I would have to rely on his integrity, and we know that's not very credible. So she devises to give Judah a dose of his own deception. She takes off her widow's garments covers herself with a veil, wraps herself up, and sits at the entrance of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah." Now, catch this. They're coming to town. And as she sees them coming to town, she sees, guess, Shayla is all grown up now. He's a big boy. And she now makes the connection. He was never going to give him to me to marry. This is, oh, oh man. She knows now, this is a big problem, but when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face, and he turns to her at the roadside and says, Come, let me come into you, for he did not know that this was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? Basically, I mean, what's the price going to be for the party, big boy? You know, I mean, this is basically what it was. And he answers, I'll send you a goat. I'll give you a goat from my flock. But I don't have the flock right here right now. So 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 she says, All right, I'll take the part, I'll take the, the goat, but what are you gonna give to me as a pledge in return? And, and, and he says, What 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 do you want from me? What what pledge shall I give you? So Tamar agrees. Basically, the solicit, the solicitation, she says, Yes, but I want something in return until you pay me with this goat. So she replies with this, I want your signet, which is a ring, I want your cord, and I want the staff that's in your hands. Now, folks, what basically this means is this, is in today's terms, it would be like this. If you you need to go to the bank to get some cash for something, this would be like you're giving your driver's license, your social security number, to hold it for you until you would get pri... I I mean, this is crazy. So he gave them to her, and he went into her. And she conceived by him. Oh, my gosh. This is getting creepy. Very, very creepy, folks. So she arose and went away. She takes off her veil. She puts on the garments of her widowhood. Then a few days later, this is unbelievable. Judah actually keeps a promise. He sends the goat back to pay her. Probably because he wants his signet, his cord, and his staff back out of fear that he solicited a prostitute. So he sends it back by way of his friend the Adamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand. But uh-oh, she's nowhere to be found. He did not find her. And he asked the men of the palace, or of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Enam at the roadside? They said, no cult prostitute's been here. So he returns back to Judah and says, I can't find her. And the men at that place, they said no cult prostitute has ever been there. Oh, my goodness. We have a storm brewing. She's nowhere to be found. So Judah replies this way. He says, then just let her keep the things. As you just saw in his testimony, I sent back the goat to try to give it to her. So so, so just let her keep it. Judah, Judah. I'm going to get... Not Jonah. Don't go that story. All right. Judah. Judah moves on. He wipes his hands clean. He's done this before, right? With his brother Joseph. But he moves on, so he orders a new class ring, has the men carve him up a new walking stick. That's what he's like. All right. It's crazy because it's going to get juicy, juicy, juicy. Right about now. About three months later, you got... You get, Oh, y'all know where I'm going with this, don't you? About three, about three months is all the time it takes for a pregnant, for a pregnant woman's belly to start showing it. It's, yeah, it's going there right now in this story. This is crazy. It's about three months. Where in the world am I in my notes? i got to get back to it. Okay, so about three months. About three months, this has gone on. So she's nowhere to be found, yada, yada, yada. There it is, there it is, there it is. Judah was told this. They come back word, and they tell Judah, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, she's been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by this immorality. Basically, this is Judah, your daughter-in-law has played the hooker. She's played the harlot. And Judah replied, just like anybody who's hiding a secret sin, pretending that he's without sin, would reply. He says, bring her out and let's burn her alive. Oh, folks, he burned with righteous indignation against the sin of somebody else while conveniently, very conveniently, forgetting his own wrongdoing. I know you and I have never done anything like that before. You know what I'm saying? Now, the duplicity of his response would be laughable if it wasn't so tragic. Here's what I mean. Wasn't this the same Judah who plotted to kill his brother? And and wasn't this the same Judah who sold his brother into slavery so they could profit some cash from it? And wasn't this the same Judah that went back, told their father, and let him mourn and grieve for years over the death of his son? And wasn't this the same Judah that promised to care for his daughter-in-law, yet never intended on keeping his word? Folks, this is crazy, but this is when it gets really good. Listen to this. Verse 25, and she was being brought out to be executed. And she sends word to Judah and a few key items with her message. She said, you want to know who the father is? By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. She said, please identify who these things belong to. This signet and the cord and the staff. Folks, this broken down, if you want the Bible to come alive, was basically this. A woman scorned. She said, you want to know who the daddy is? <laughs> oh, I tell you who the daddy is. This is exhibit A, B, and C. Whoever owns these three things, oh, that's who the daddy is. Folks, is this not an episode out of the Jerry Springer Show right now? No preacher in their right mind would ever preach this message. Except the guy from Maricopa. I gotta drink something, man. <laughs> this is ridiculous. His public profession or confession was straight and to the what, what 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 else do you do? He says this. He identifies it. <laughs> yeah, those are my thanks right there. <laughs> she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son. Shayla. On the count of three, please, folks, everybody say wow because this story is there. One, two, three. Wow. Wow. This story is ridiculously insane. And Tamar's plan worked perfectly. By waiting to the last moment, she leaves Judah nowhere to hide. And this whole episode, as strange and weird and crazy as it is, finally brings Judah to a turning point in his life. And folks, here's what's ridiculous. If Judah's story ended here, we would be tempted to finally conclude that the law of sowing and reaping is coming to fruition. As we just heard at the beginning in Galatians chapter 6, finally Judah is getting what he deserved. After all, what goes around... Finally. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. 45 more minutes tops. That's all I got. So don't, don't worry. I'll shorten it up. Okay. All right. God is about ready to blow up sowing and reaping. Back to Joseph. Remember him? Okay, five people do. You're with me. That's all that's with me. Do you remember Joseph? First part of our story. Code of many colors, that guy. Okay, back to Joseph. Fast forward in the story, 20 years, 20 years, 20 years later, okay, they, they beyond past the point of being sold into slavery. See, when we hear this story, we usually hear about Joseph. We never hear about Judah, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to blow your mind. Okay, so back to Joseph. He's risen to this chain of command in which he's number two. How did he get there? How did he get to be number two in Egypt? Because... Remember this thing with dreams that he had? Pharaoh had these weird dreams and nobody could interpret them except for Joseph. And he had this seven and seven type of a dream and he wanted to know what it was. And Joseph got a word from the Lord and he told him this is what it is. There's going to be seven years of amazing prosperity in the land, Pharaoh. And then it's going to be followed by seven years of immense, tragic, death-saturated famine. So here's what we need to do. We need to plant more, grow more, birth more, do all of this stuff during the seven years because nobody else in the country knows this. So at the end of that, when we move into the seven years, we will have what we need and what everybody else needs as well. We will have leverage on them and we will become the it nation. And that is exactly what happened. And that is why he was number Two in Egypt, just below the Pharaoh. And guess what happened? The family of Joseph, who thinks he's dead and gone, is dying. And they have to go to Egypt to get land or to get food just to survive. And when they met the Egyptian officials that day, Joseph wore the makeup garb uh, of an Egyptian official, uh, official, because by all accounts, he's Egyptian. So he's got the face paint, you know, the heavy eyeliner, shaved head, little whoop 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 ponytail thingy. So who he is? They don't recognize him, but immediately he recognizes them. But guess what? Catch the irony here. As you would when entering into the presence of royalty. Remember the dream? All ten. Brothers, bow down to the royalty. It's getting even better. Trust me, it's getting even it better. Listen, listen. They all bow down. So Joseph recognizes who they are, and he's like, probably not that way, but in your mind. He's thinking, oh, my gosh, but he, he recognizes there's only 10 of them. But wait, Remember? There's his younger brother Benjamin. Where's Benji? So you're one, two, three, seven, nine, ten, ten. Where is Benjamin? Have they done to Benjamin what they did to him? So in some weird way, he convinces, he's like, You go back and bring your whole family with you. He wants to know is Benjamin alive? Now this is crazy because he sends him back. And remember, Jacob, the daddy, Joseph's daddy has been mourning for years over the loss of Joseph. And when they tell him, we got to bring Benjamin back with us if we need to get, we got to have this, Dad. And he's like, no! Last time I left a boy with you, you're not taking Benjamin anywhere. So guess who says, Dad, we need to seriously talk about this. Judah. And in verse Chapter 43, 8 through 9, he says, Send the boy along with me, and we will go at once. So that we and our children may live. Dad, we have to have this. I myself, me, Judah, will personally guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I don't bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame before you all of my life. He obviously was convincing. So Jacob says, Fine. And the 11 brothers returned to Joseph, and now, you guessed it, once again, face-to-face with royalty, all 11, bow, before, I'm telling you, dude, it's all coming down, it's going down, listen, this is amazing. So he knows this now. So they didn't kill him, but Joseph is still not convinced. So he holds this feast. They've got to be like, what is going on? We just wanted food. Now we have a feast. We had to come back with our little brother. So he holds this feast, provides them with the rations of food that they need. But inside of Benjamin's ration pack, he hides a silver cup. And then he stations his guard at the exit of the city. And he orders. He stages a heist. He orders them to be uh, stopped and searched. And in the process, in the process, they find the expensive royal silver cup in the bag of Benjamin. Now, I'm telling you, Joseph did this because he wanted to know if his brothers had changed. Would they get to the gate and go, we don't even know him. We don't even know him. We don't know him. Would this be the case? Would they sacrifice Benjamin? Benjamin? To save themselves, would they take the opportunity to rid themselves of another favored brother? Or have they changed? Would they try to save him? So he brings him into custody. And Judah, Judah, still remember, they don't know it's Joseph. Judah has a converse, asks in mercy, can I talk to you, your highness? Genesis 44, 32-34. He says, for your servant, me, Judah... I became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying this I promise you, Dad, I will bring him back to you. Or I will bear the blame before my father for the rest of my life. I am begging you, Your Highness, I am throwing my, mer- I'm throwing the, mer- at the mercy of the court, please keep me, keep me here instead of the boy. And let him go back with my brothers. For how in the world can I go back to my dad if this this is happening? I'm telling you, Your Highness, I fear to see the evil that would find my father. And Joseph hears something in the voice of Judah. And he senses something has changed. And he's overwhelmed with emotion. And Joseph no longer can contain himself. And in that moment in Genesis 45 3, he reveals himself. He says, I am Joseph! I mean, can you imagine? This is crazy. Now, I'm serious. This story is ridiculous. I mean, watch the irony, folks, because the Bible tells us that as soon as he did this, they all bowed. But can you imagine? This is the way my Bible comes alive. You need to pray for my wife because I'm weird. All right? So, so this is the revelation. Can you imagine the revelation of this moment? Joseph, like, oh, they've changed. You they've changed. wipes off the makeup, lets the hair down. I am Joseph. It's me, boys. And the Bible tells us they bowed, but I think they did this. Oh, my gosh, he's still alive. (laughs) Three times in a row, my shoe just came off. (sighs) I'm I'm telling you, that's what I believe happened. But this time, they are bowing again. But I believe they're bowing in fear more than respect. And I believe the brother who had the most of fear was Oh, you are tricking. Finally, what goes around is coming. Yes. But something unusual happens. There's no sound or clamor of guards' weapons. There is no screaming out by the Egyptian official named Joseph, Arrest them! This would prove to be a day for Judah, folks, that he would never forget. Because this was a day where grace showed up. And Joseph says something amazing. Genesis 45, 5. I can just see this. Boys, get, get up. Get up. Don't, 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 don't be distressed over this. Don't let this overwhelm you. Get up. Don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me here. Do you not see what's going on? God sent me before you to preserve your life. Oh my gosh, folks, do you, crazes all over this. Are you smelling what we're smoking yet? I mean, this is amazing. Listen to this. For years, these brothers had been consumed by guilt for what they had done. But for years, apparently, Joseph had been consumed with something else entirely. Grace. And once again, the law of sowing and reaping was thwarted, and it was thwarted by grace. And this is huge. Please don't miss this. Judah in turn never ever got what he deserved as is always the case with grace he got what he deserved the least now we could conclude here and be like wow but I got 30 more minutes and that's it I'm almost done the story doesn't end This is how God's amazing grace works. When he gives grace, he doesn't just dabble a little bit of sprinkle juice on top of you. He pours it all over you. Okay, we're almost done. Years later, Jacob, big daddy, big daddy, you know who he is. Jacob is on his deathbed, and his 12 sons gather around him like they do. It is time, because he's about ready to die, for him to pass the birthright on. Who is now going to be the covenant holder in our family? This was usually something that was given to the firstborn. He would receive double portion, he would become the patriarch, and it would be him. But he already, listen, Jacob already blew this thing up. If you don't know the story, Jacob with his mama, Rebekah, tricked their daddy, Isaac, and and, and got the birthright over his older brother, Esau. So everybody kind of knows it's supposed to be the oldest, but it may not. And in this particular story, we're all sitting here thinking, really? Does anybody at all need to go? We all know who the guy is that should be getting the birthright is, right? It's Joseph. I mean, the, Joseph is the one that rose to prominence, fought through his, his, uh, the injustices and became this. And, and they're all thinking, duh, this is a no-brainer. But as the process and custom goes, all 12 of the boys line up. Reuben, Reuben, not a sandwich, the Reuben, <laughs> the firstborn steps forward and predictably Jacob denies him the privilege. Then Simeon, boy number two, steps up. He doesn't receive the birthright either. Then Levi, boy number three, steps up and again denied. Boy number four, Judah. (laughs) Are you serious? Seriously. Everybody, including Judah, is like, seriously? Do I even need to go? I mean, seriously, let's just go fast forward all the way down to the end. I mean, everybody knows by this, everybody knows this. All of his secrets have been revealed. He masterminded the slavery sale of Joseph. He was the one while Joseph was suffering through injustices that lived a double life back home. He was the one. If anybody had forfeited their right more, it was Judah, right? And right about now, everybody's like, finally, finally, what goes around? Come on now, stay with me, stay with me. What goes around? So can you just see this? Judah, Judah... Judah's got to go, he's got to go meet his dad. Can you just make one foot out the door? (laughs) Kneels down. Watch what happens next. Blow your stinking mind. Genesis 49, verse 8 Jacob's words to Judah You, Judah, your brothers, Will praise you. Your fingers on your enemy's throat while your brothers honor you. Verse 10. The scepter. Interesting words, royalty. The scepter shall not leave Judah. He'll keep a firm grip on the command staff until the ultimate ruler comes and the nations obey him. And we all know who that is. Jesus is coming. You know what I'm saying? Do you catch What is going on in this moment, folks, the insinuation of Jacob's blessing is that Judah's descendants would be kings. Now, this had to strike everybody odd because, first of all, it's Judah. He shouldn't even be up there at his daddy's feet. But nonetheless, I mean, they're they're not they're not even a nation. They're still living in Egypt. They're just a big family. How could this be so? Yet this is exactly what happened. Listen, folks, if you don't know anything about Bible history, I'm about ready to give you some knowledge. The families of Jacob's 12 sons eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. And beginning with King David, the kings of Israel were all born... To the tribe of? Oh my gosh. Now get ready to blow your mind. This is awesome. And even more significant, Jesus, Israel's Messiah, my personal Savior, and I hope He's yours too, was born from the lineage of Judah. That's why he's known as the Lion of Judah. And we all are sitting here like, wow! Would have never thought, never saw that one coming. I mean, Judah certainly, he didn't deserve any of this. He lived a life that was like a modern day soap opera. Nevertheless, God chose to bring the lion of Judah into the world through the lineage of Judah. I mean, look at the grace and the hope here for you folks. After a lifetime of sin and hypocrisy, Judah was brought to a place of humility and gratitude, but he wasn't brought there by punishment like many of us would think. He was brought there by grace. And in the end, in the end, it, listen, it cannot be said that he found grace because he never went looking for it. On the contrary, grace found him. And with all of that, what goes around, unless... Grace shows up. Will you stand to your feet? A few weeks ago, my five year old baby girl, her name is Cheris, which happens to mean in Greek grace. Busts into my room at 3 a.m. in the morning, freaked me out. I almost reached for my nine mil. <laughs> Scared me to death. I'm, and she comes in petrified, screaming. She has nightmares. We did what any mom and dad would do. We cal- we calm her down, let her get into bed with us. I'm I'm a hard sleeper, so I go right back to bed. But for some particular reason, this night, usually, you know, when someone's got an owie or whatever, they want mama. For some reason, she, wa- she, she must have wanted me because she wa- we have a king-size bed, and she is all the way over, almost practically laying on top of me. And I can sense for 30 minutes, she is right up next to me, shaking, scared to death. And I can see she, she's not calmed down, and I'm trying to fall back asleep, and all of a sudden, I feel this little tap on my shoulder. And I hear words that I'll never forget. Daddy Will you put your arms around me Scared to death Fearful of her moment I gotta believe that there are people here today That are scared to death Messed up in their lives, moments where grace just can't be found. And the beauty of God's grace is this. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he's right beside you waiting for you to tap his shoulder and say, Daddy, I'm scared to death. And everything that I'm doing is not right. Would you put your arms around me? He'll do it. He'll do it today no matter what you're coming out of. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song at the end of that song before you leave today. If you're in that place, there's some counselors at the end of that song that will be down here that I want to encourage you to come forward. When's the last time you said, Daddy, would you put your arms around me? Today's the day. Jesus, thanks for my friends. Thank you for letting us hang out today. Um, Jesus, I love you so much, and I thank you for stories like this that just mess us up. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Cornerstone and the impact that it's making in Chandler, Arizona and beyond into the Santan Valley. God, please mess some people up And help them be found by your grace today. Put your arms around them. Love you so much, Lord. Give you everything. In your precious and holy, holy, holy son's name. Amen.